Welcome to the We Like It On Top podcast. We're an international community of people that love to be on the top of mountains. In our uh, episodes, you'll hear from inspirational climbers and mountaineers from all around the world. I'm Bill Goodgen. I'm the founder of We Like It On Top and the host. And today we have a special guest. Um, that is Lakpa Rita Sherpa. Uh, Lakpa is one of the world's most well-known and respected mountain guides he was born and raised in the small village of uh, Tame um, in Nepal. He uh, followed the footsteps of his father and began his first mountaineering expedition at the age of 18 in 1984. From what began as a job, he soon realized that this is something he was truly passionate about. And on October 7th, of 1990, he made his first summit to Mount Everest, and since then, he's made over 17 summits of Mount Everest. He's led 36 expeditions on Everest and has helped guide a record number of 254 climbers to the summit. Um, he moved to the U.S. in 2000, started working as a full-time mountain guide around the world, leading expeditions in Alaska, Antarctica, and South America. 2009, he became the first Sherpa to climb the seven summits. Uh, Lakpa was also named Outside Magazine's Adventurer of the Year in 2013, and he's been now guiding full-time with uh, for over 30 years with several worldwide companies. Welcome, Lakpa. Lakpa, it's a real pleasure to have you here. Uh, how are you? Thank you. Uh, I'm good. I'm good. Thank you for giving me this opportunity, and I'm yeah. glad to be here. Yeah, I, I'm really excited to to talk to you. Well, what what stands out to me is the list of other accomplishments that I didn't even include in your bio. Um, you have something like over 60 summits of Aconcagua, right? 150 plus summits of Rainier, uh, 18 summits of Vincent. You've guided on K2. You've guided on Broad Peak. You've guided on Annapurna <laughs> and Manaslu. Dalagari, Makalu. I mean, you've climbed all throughout the Himalaya um, and you're an inspiration to many climbers in the world today. So thank you. Um, thank you. I want to start from a, a, something that's also very extraordinary and very few people can say is your inspiration for climbing really came from meeting Sir Edmund Hillary and Tenzing Norgay, right? They were visiting your school, a school that they helped build that you attended. Uh, is that correct? Yeah, actually, you know, uh, before Edmund Hillary built the school, that was about in 1960, there was no school existing in my hometown. And then after summiting Everest, uh, Edmund Hillary Foundations built a school in in Kumbu area, he built five school uh, that include uh, one primary school in my hometown. So, uh, I mean, going to school those days, uh, you know, Edmund Hillary and Tenjing, uh, Sir Tenjing Norke used to visit our school once a year. And then uh, uh, because of them visiting there, I got inspirations with them. Uh, so I always want to uh, follow that first steps and climb to Everest at least once. Uh, but uh, but uh, uh, after uh, summiting Everest in 1990, mm, I it became a it became a, my profession. So now I'm pretty much doing uh, 
for 30, 40 years now. Yeah. So when they visited the first time, how, how old were you then? When they visited the first time to my school, I was about 10 years old. And Ten one years. of the improvements I had is because of Sir Tenjing Norke, uh overall in all over Nepal, in Nepalese radio, Radio Nepal, we didn't have TV and stuff like that. We used to have a small shortwave band radio. We used to listen to radio and we can hear this song that's saying that our Tenjing has climbed Everest. So that thing, song was kept playing and playing, and that song made me to follow their footsteps uh, because of uh, uh, knowing them first uh, person to class, Summit on Everest. So the, the town you grew up in, Tame, is that correct? Am I it is called Tame. Tame. Okay, yeah. Tame. How many people lived in that uh, village or town? Well, uh, Tame, the Kumbu, Nam, beyond Namche, is called uh, Tame Valley. Tame Valley has uh, quite a few little villages. So my hometown is the Lower Tame. We have about a 50, 50 families lives there. Uh, each family has four to uh, three to four kids. Uh, but now these days, a lot of the young generations uh, move away from there. So only uh, older generations, people and few who runs their business, they are still there. But uh, I think now is more or less people than used to be. Oh, wow. That's interesting. So yeah. you, um, if I recall this correctly, um, so you were 18 and you joined, your uncle was a guide on Everest at that time, correct? And you joined him for your first climb and you got some really simple, basic, one, one week of training <laughs> at base camp and as yeah. I think you describe it. Your first, your first climb on Everest did not go very well. Tell us about that. Yeah, uh, my dad used to be a climber. He was a guide, and after he has a first flight, uh, lost, lost, he lost his toes and finger. Uh, we have ten uh, families member, including my parents, uh, six sisters, and one brother. Myself, ten of us, and my dad, uh, father. My dad could not do what he. Uh, was uh, doing to support his family. So being an older son, I had to step on, up and uh, take his job. And to do that, I didn't have, know anyone. So my dad set up a job with his cousin. So uh, that was uh, 1984. Uh, no experience. I did a few trekkings, uh, hike to Everest Base Camp with my dad and a few other people. But beside that, I have not any mountaineering skills. Uh, but the team uh, gave us a basic technique at base camp, which is basically how do you use crampon, how do you use ascender and uh, billet device, and uh, how do you use ice axe and stuff like that. Uh, so after that, we kept climbing and uh, don't remember exact date, but uh, you know it was uh, it dumped quite a bit of snow while we were at camp two. My friend and uh, myself, uh, I mean. Uh, we don't know much about and right after the snowfall we carry to camp three which is at 24,000 feet on a let's say pace basically it is uh, uh, one of the it is a one uh, avalanche prune zone uh, if it is today I would not do it but uh, by then we went and <laughs> all, the, all the ropes are buried 
about a, uh, about a feet, feet and a half, and we are keep pulling the rope and we take a turn, keep pulling the rope, heading off uh, the slope. And my friend say, oh, uh, this is taking a long time and our hands are getting sore, so let's uh, do something different. So I don't know what he wants to do, but uh, so he said, stop, uh, take your pack up. So we took our pack ups, set up our pack on the side, and he says, let's do this. We both hold the rope. I will count three, and we'll pull the rope at once like that. So we did that and heard this huge noise right, right above us, which means we trigger the avalanche ourselves. It is soft snow. Basically, we're lucky. It's not ice uh, or any hard snow in there. But uh, it took us quite a bit down. Uh, exactly, don't remember how far, but uh, you know, uh, my friend was keep telling me, oh, you pretend like swimming. But <laughs> for me, I don't know how to swim. And I, I was keep yelling at him, I don't know how. And he said, just, uh, just you know, to move your feet and and so the soft snow can take you on top. Uh, it's not going to bury you. So we both uh, end up, uh, I did that, what he said, and we both end up uh, stopping one little hump uh, where the avalanche stopped us. If that hump is not there, then we are gone like 1,500 feet down. Probably. Oh my gosh. That's the end of our uh, end of our life. What we've been both we've both been very lucky. Stopped there and we climbed down that day. Our backs is uh, all the way down to the flat uh, on bottom of the Lhotse face. So that was the expeditions for me for that season. Uh, didn't try to go beyond that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I you must have been terrified. Um, that I mean that this is your first first trip and you're involved in an a avalanche it's amazing that you even considered going back after that yeah it was very scary and after that expeditions you know i thought this is not right way to make a living uh i was you no know, no i thought i sh shouldn't be doing this but you know i go home and searching for other jobs and there are no other options beside this uh beside climbing which pays uh better than any other job and then uh, so i have to keep uh, uh going back to climb or support my family uh, beside this job there's no other option so i have to take it yeah i want to i, I want to talk about that a little bit later um i'm interested on in your perspective on how that has changed um today so that that was 1984 correct so you were 18 in 1984 mm -hmm. so then your first summit was in 1990 correct it is 1990 october the 7th now it's interesting too so that that was in october post monsoon where now most of the climbing is in the spring when, when did that really change it's changing after 90s uh before 90s it, uh everyone uh used to climb in a fall. Fall is, they think fall is the best season. But uh, people didn't realize that how much snow on the, on the slope and how uh, dangerous with the avalanche uh, hazard on the, not only let's say face, but even in a triangular face, there's a lot of snow and um, huge risks of avalanche. So like 90s, people started changing into the spring and become a more popular in the spring today. 
Uh, there will be barely one expedition on fall now these days. Mm-hmm. But most of the expeditions goes in the spring. I believe one of the reasons is the spring, the weathers get better, also get warmer as the uh, as the season progress. Fall versus spring fall. As the season progress, winter approaching. So weather get colder, colder, higher on the mountain, more snow on the mountain. So uh, so that's the reason people choose in the spring. Uh, okay, got it. So is there any way for you to adequately describe that feeling of your first summit? I know it's a place of reverence, and I've heard you talk about you even felt like the spirits of Sir Edmund Hillary and Tenzing Norgay there with you and it was a very kind of deeply emotional and spiritual moment for you yeah we we as a sherpa we believe in a lot of our traditions and we always believe as things like that and my first summit was uh, uh 1990 october 7 again it was a uh, 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 very emotional uh i work hard i want to um, build my resume strong and um, I was working with the uh, Yugoslavian team, Andre and Maria Strampel. Lucky to work with them. They were one of the best climbers by then. Especially Andre was one of the best climbers uh, around the world. And he taught me so many things. Uh, I was working with him as a rope fixing team because one of the reasons is not necessarily I'm the strongest among the Sherpa team, but I can communicate better than any other Sherpas on the team because I've been to school and that helped a little bit. My English still not good as today, but I can communicate. That's the reason they choose me working with them. And later they choose me to go summit with them, their uh, summit Sherpa, which was a big, uh, big uh, opportunity for me. And uh, made to the summit, uh, always uh, think about Edmund Hillary and Tenzing. And I always think that they are in our spirits up there. It's emotional. I bowed to the summit three times to take a, a, a apology to the God who lives in Everest. We believe that's a God who lives in Everest. Her name is Miolam Sungma. So I is the, no, no, sorry is the Nepalese word for uh, uh, Mount Everest is that Sagarmatha? Nepalese name is Sagarmatha, and yep. then Sherpa is Chamulangmo, yep. her mother of the elephant, goddess of the elephant. So we believe there's a god who lives there is called Mia Lamsungma. So every time, first time I make the summit or every time I make summit, I always uh, respect and uh, ask uh, uh, apology uh, being a stepping on her. So that was, a, that was one of the most uh, unforgettable moment for me. Uh, summiting with Andre, first summit, and always wants to follow footstep of Tenjing and Edmund. And that was the day uh, I was able to do. And it was uh, great memories. Did you have any, uh, were there any unusual challenges on that first summit or did that go well for you? Uh, the weather was great. It was a pretty deep snow. We have to work hard uh, breaking trail. There was a two or three teams up there. So we all worked together. And uh, it worked out perfectly. Okay, good. Yeah, so as you look at the climbing and 
the how expeditions and guided uh, groups operate on Everest then and compare that today. What what are the major changes that you you've seen? I mean, obviously the crowds are exceptionally large, and that's probably surprising for you. But what 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 other changes beyond that? I mean, there are huge changes. Uh, when I was uh, by then. There are not commercial expedition exist at all. I believe so. Uh, most of the climbers who come to climb either sponsored by their club or either sponsored by uh, some clothing company or government or army or police, uh, stuff like that, or some uh, like a uh, lot of the uh, Asian, like uh, Korean and Japanese climber, they have a club. Uh, they join with the club, and club is sponsored. And uh, so uh, the club really are, like the mid '90s is when the large yeah. guided companies Company. started coming in. Yeah, started coming in. Right. So uh, the climbers are well experienced. They've done a lot of climb. They know what they're doing. Uh, but versus today is all commercial. Commercials are boom after like '90s, mid '90s, probably '90s. Uh, or late 80s, I believe. Uh, so uh, it, uh, until the 1996, it was not that uh, crowded as commercial companies. There are only few commercial companies, maybe eight or nine. Uh, no, none of the commercial company exists in Nepal. All Nepal uh, local companies just do a logistic. Uh, but uh, after 1996, when the accident happened, the commercial industry boom. After that, uh, uh, no books into tenure and also the movie into tenure. Mm -hmm. uh, that probably that uh, made it uh, uh, more interesting to people. Uh, and then commercial uh, uh, increase boom, especially today. Uh, Nepalese uh, commercial company is uh, bigger than international com commercial companies. One of the reason is uh, they use all Nepalese guide, so they don't have to pay for the permit for the Nepalese guide or Sherpa. So that's the reason they can accommodate cheaper. Uh, oh, I see. Cheaper price. So people can go for che cheaper, cheaper ways. Uh, guiding qualities. Nepal Sherpa, uh, Nepalese company. That today, Nepal has a lot of great guides. They've been graduate from FAGIA certified guide. We have a lot of those guides. And also a lot of the Sherpa guide has experience. They've been working for many, many times. So they they, they, they are more uh, bigger than uh, international company. But anyhow, uh, commercial companies are way, way uh, more uh, today. And then there will be like 20, 30 teams on Iris Space Camp, maybe up to 800 to 1,000 people start on climbing each season uh, compared mind to... Mind-boggling to imagine that many climbers being at Everest Base Camp and trying to make the summit around around a, what, three-week three, three window? I bought a three-week windows, uh, but again, you know, the, uh, Everest Base Camp will be one of the biggest city, tent city above uh, Kumbu. Uh, and I mean... Uh, the crowd will be there, but sometimes if you're patient, or if you stay, uh, you know, be patient and stay away from 
from the crowd and sometimes you have your own mountain that's happened to when I was guiding with my former employee we always go lost and we always have our own mountain to the summit but again once the route open people start going crazy and they, they all want to go <laughs> yeah. in those windows that because of that then you see all this line and you see all the media mm -hmm. posting that photos and stuff like that yeah yeah, it's interesting. The the last couple of years, Nepali uh, climbers and Sherpas uh, in particular have really started to gain more uh, recognition for their strengths as climbers and have sort of moved out of the shadows of the Western climbers. And and now you, you there's people that are very familiar with the uh, Nepalese climbers and Sherpas today. How do you feel about uh, how do you feel about that? I don't know. I mean, it's uh, I feel very uh, happy about it. You know, we need to be get a recognitions because we do all of the work. I mean, yeah, absolutely, we're, we're the we're the backbone for the climbers. I mean, if we're not exist, those people who wants to uh, uh, climb Everest, um, uh, there are no chance for them. Very know? few, uh, very few would be able to do it for sure. I mean, you have Western guides going from here, but their job is just talking to the clients. <laughs> you know, they don't do all the jobs, setting rope, carrying loads, uh, putting camps, uh, getting things to base camp, getting things to high camp. That's all Sherpa has to do it. Uh, yeah. So without Sherpa, it is uh, impossible. So I'm glad that we, we are getting a little bit of recognitions, which is great. And I'm also very happy that Nepalese company are taking over uh, international company, uh, which should be that way. Uh, so uh, I am also happy for that as well. Yeah. Do, do you have any feelings about the various speed records and attempts to, you know, climb uh, individual mountains or even um, multiple summits, just, just the pursuit of speed and fastest node times in the mountains? Do you have any thoughts about that? Does that I never thought about any record breaking things like that. <laughs> well, uh, as a follow with my work, uh, I know when I need to get a summit with my customer, I will. When I need to turn around, I probably turn around four or five times from South Summit, which didn't make any difference to me because I'm doing this for a job and I'm there for my customer. And if someone needs to go down, then I rather I will go down and then give a chance to my other polo Sherpas so they can uh, also uh, have a, a good resume so they, they have a better opportunity in uh, their field. So that's what I always uh, thought and I never thought about any speed breaking at all. Yeah, yeah, I think um, there's certainly a lot of admirers of and people that uh, look up to uh, climbers that are making the uh, setting records and continue to set, set records in the Himalaya now. And then there's uh, others that are very critical and think that it's uh, uh, taking some level of unnecessary risk. Um, so yeah, it's, in I was just interested in your perspective yeah. on that. So what, what, what do you think is the major difference? You, you've been a guide in the U S and you've guided around the world and outside of the Himalaya. What what is the major difference in the approach in climbing and sort of the the eastern approach and how you would um, manage and guide people in the Himalaya versus other parts of the world? 
I mean, you know, Himalayan, the guiding on the Himalayan is, I would say, pretty, pretty easy. I know you, you have a lot of support. Uh, you know, you have Sherpa support, they carry everything. You have cook support, they will cook the food. Uh, but others, uh, beside Himalaya, other area, when we, we are guide, as a guide, we have to do everything. We have to carry loads, we have to cook food, we have to take decisions. Uh, so we need to learn how to cook food as well. So like trip like Denali, Vincent, Aconcagua, the guides are responsibility for cooking, uh, helping setting tents. If the clients are not able to carry load, uh, our guide ha guide has to take uh, over and carry their loads, help them up. Uh, so it's a lot harder guiding this part of the world is much harder. I know you have responsibility taking care of clients. You have responsibility of making decisions. And sometimes you are making water, uh, cooking foods, and carrying loads, and all of those things involves uh, more work here. Uh, than back in Himalayas. Yeah, uh, it's 24-7, I guess, for a guide now. Yeah. Um, and then some of these trips, Denali, Aconcagua, the, those can be three, three, four weeks for you, right? That can be, yeah. Uh, sometimes you get stuck with weathers, you know, especially Denali. And then, uh, you know, the, uh, only one day is trip, but you may stop there uh, four weeks, right. three weeks, two, you know, more than 21 days, you know. Uh, so, how, how many times have you climbed Denali? I climbed Denali four times. Four times. Okay. Yeah. Now, um, back to ne Nepal for just a couple more minutes. Um, what What are some misconceptions that you think people have about the Nepali people, and um, how would you dis best describe people from from Nepal? Uh, can you repeat that question one more time? Yeah, is, is there just people have, um, you know, misconceptions or misunderstandings or their thoughts about what people from Nepal and uh, are like? What, what, how would you describe that to somebody who's uh, described people in Nepal for those who have never been there, never had any interaction with, uh, with people? Man, a lot of uh, people think that uh, uh, Sherpa means. Uh, they're all climbers, okay? Uh, people who, ne who never been to Nepal, like when I come to uh, like airport in the immigrations, uh, one time the immigration officer was looking at my last name and he says, oh, you Sherpa, you're mountain climbers. Yes, I was, but not necessarily all the Sherpas are climbers. Also uh, the other, other Misa, uh, uh Understanding between porters and sherpas, there are huge uh, 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 between sherpas and porters. A lot of people think that porters, sherpas are the porters. Sherpas are not necessarily our porters. We are high altitude, uh, experienced mountain guide. Porters are those who carry thirty to forty kilos of load, carrying from lowland to base camp. Those who goes up to base camp, there are porters, but uh, not necessarily Sherpa are porters. So a lot of a lot of people who never been there, they think they read about article, they talk about porters and Sherpa, they think porters and Sherpas are same thing. But, right, uh, they interchange them, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So those are the things people uh, miss, uh, 
uh, people have a, no, no, never been there think about those those type of thing and beside that uh, not much uh, and uh, probably people think that uh, more of the Hindus are living in Nepal people might think because as a, uh, a majority is Hindus but uh, we're not about a 30 to 40 percent Buddhism Buddhist people from uh, Buddhist lives there and we have quite a few different uh, uh, religions, uh, religious people live there. There are Muslim, there are Christian, a little bit of Christian, a little bit of Muslim. So uh, overall, in the religious, we don't have any fight in Nepal. We're very peace about our religious. We, I can be Hindus. I can choose whatever I want. There's no, no any mm, restrictions and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Thank you for sh sharing that. I think that's helpful yeah. for. And I have not been to Nepal. I look yeah. forward to doing that um, at some point. Um, I would love to. So thanks for sharing that. Well, you. Um, you talked about your hometown, your home village actually being smaller uh, now than it was when you grew up. H how has the standard of living changed and um, the ability for um for for climbers in terms of income it's improved dramatically i'm sure um and it's a, um even it was attractive then but it's a much more attractive uh occupation now right yeah for sure today there's a plenty of job plenty of work because of uh like i say commercial comp uh, expeditions boom that's the one of the reason there's a lot of work my when i started working but the finding job is monitoring job is very 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 uh, difficult. Uh, you know that's the reason I always want to learn. I always want to get to the summit to get my uh, resume strong. But it, uh, and uh, always you know I have to go to like trekking agency or uh, wherever local companies. I have to go there and ask for job. Today uh, the company. Uh, operator uh, will request you to come work for them. So there's a plenty of work uh, if you are climbers or trekkers. Uh, uh, and also uh, definitely increase the pay a little bit uh, compared to when I start working. Uh, you know, during my parents' time, during my time, a lot of my uh, neighbors, my village people do trading between Tibet and Nepal for uh, their main, uh, main uh, economic source was trading between Tibet and Nepal. Okay. But today that is not exist because t Tibet it's closed cool. that path. Uh, the path goes through my hometown to Tibet, they closed that path. So uh, everyone has to work as a, a mountain guide, Sherpa, as a Sherpa on a climbing on a mountain or work on a trekking comp uh, business, uh, uh, like helping the hikers to get into base camp and stuff like that. Uh, but again, there's a plenty of job, uh, easier to find a job these days than uh, by then. Yeah, great. So uh, where where would you say your favorite place to climb outside of Nepal is at? Uh, one of the, my favorite climb is Antarctica. Uh, this is a parway. And then uh, Denali, uh, those are the two uh, uh, places is uh, my favorite place to climb. Uh, I know it is very cold. Uh, I was going to say, you must like you must like to be really cold. <laughs> but uh, weather, weather can be challenging, but uh, 
like uh, Antarctica is Mount Vincent. Antarctica is one of the most pristine, clean mountain I ever have uh, been. You know, you are not allowed to pee everywhere you want. You have to use a pee bottle, and there's a pee stations. You always dump the pee in the stations. Uh, also, uh, pooping in a plastic bag. Uh, we have to carry everything. Those are applies all over here, United States, um, any mountains here, but here you can pee anywhere you want. So Antarctica, you can't. So that's uh, the Antarctica Treaty was very uh, great to keep that Antarctica that clean, which is a great. So it is a very pristine mountain, and uh, my favorite. But uh, uh, last uh, two years ago, I decided not to go anymore. That was my last trip. Yeah. <laughs> is there uh, is there a dream climb you have yet to do? Something that uh, you're on your bucket list that I have uh, that you have to do someday. Yeah, I was always thinking to climb uh, K2. Uh, it was uh, planned like 2010. I was I was uh, planned to go there, but after the accident on Everest, no, 2014, I was planning to go there. I was there on 2010. And uh, anyhow, after the accident on Everest, I decided not to go. And then my wife also wasn't happy that. So, uh, so now I don't think I will go to climb K2, but... Uh, I just stick on what uh, uh, a small mountain. Yeah, you yeah. you ha you have today. You have your own guide company. So, um, do you uh, participate in all of those trips yourself, or are you sort of selective on which ones you join? Uh, yeah, I started my own uh, guided company. Uh, been about a year, year and a half. Uh, I want uh, my main focus is I want to do more of hiking, trekking trip than climbing. Okay. I still sell some climbing trip, but uh, those if those climbing trip goes, uh, myself and my brother will be uh, will be leading the trip. Uh, uh, but a lot of the my trips are based on my schedule, based yeah. on me and my brother's schedule. I don't sell like hundreds of trips. I just sell few trips. I start selling a, a two trekking trip every season on uh, Nepal. I wanted to trekking trip, and if the expeditions goes one expeditions on each season, and then on the summer here, I'm trying to sell five to six trips on Mount Baker, and maybe one trip on Mount Rainier. Uh, that's pretty much. Okay. Uh, Got it. Yeah. yeah. So now yeah. your climbing career is almost forty years now, and you yeah. climbed with a lot of uh, a lot of people. Is there one climber that stands out to you as being one of the most impressive um, climbers that you respect and enjoyed climbing with? Yeah, there are quite a few. Uh, I'm sure there are. <laughs> there are. There are a lot of great climbers. I know. I've heard. Uh, I haven't got opportunity to climb with that, but I you know there uh, there are quite a few. There's the list goes long, but uh, I mean, uh, definitely I've been lucky. I was able to climb at Peter Athens. Uh, oh, I was yeah. able, able to not climbing together, but parallel climbing with Ed Bister, uh, which was great. Dave Horn. Uh, so those are the great climbers. I was able to you uh, know be with them on a mountain together. Those are the great day. But there are more. 
Oh, but you know, uh, the list goes long. So uh, anyhow, uh, yeah, I, I I met Pete Athens. I mean, it was not like it was a meeting. I I got a chance to meet him at the International Climbing Festival, and you mm -hmm. this was years ago, and I was sort of starstruck when I met him. Um, he, he does have an impressive resume as a climber for sure. So yeah. you, so, um, you're, you are the same age as I am. Um, I was just doing the math without asking, asking what your age is. I, gra I graduated from high school in 1984. Also, I was 18 mm -hmm. then. Uh, okay. how, do, how do you stay, how do you stay in shape to continue to do this? What, what do you have some daily routines that you follow and, how do you stay healthy and keep after it? Uh, there's not routine at all for me. Uh, you know, uh, uh, when I'm working, I'm working always on a mountain, on a field that keeps me in pretty shape. And then when I'm not on a mountain or on a trip, I have dogs and I uh, walk with the dogs, hike with the dogs, run with the dogs. And then whenever I get a chance, I go to out to nature, hiking with the friends, my wives and so that helps me a little bit, and also the I don't gain. Well, you know, even I'm doing nothing, I don't gain much. I'm very uh, picky about eating. I don't eat much of sugary stuff. Those are the good thing. I don't like it. That's like, some good advice. Especially <laughs> like you know, ice cream and stuff like that, or dessert, dessert things. I don't, I don't eat much of those things. But uh, you know, we we cook a lot of food at home. We. Eat don't eat more much. Home food. We don't go out to eat much. Maybe we go once a week, but still, a lot of the time we cook home. Healthy, uh, eat healthy food that helps too. Yeah, yeah. So, so do you have? Um, we're about to wrap up here. Do you have any advice for people who are just starting out in mountaineering? Yeah, you know, there are uh, those people who want to start mountaining. I will say that before you do something, some uh, climbing, you should start hiking a lot. And if you start hiking, uh, it keeps you in a shape. And then you start climbing. Uh, you uh, There are quite a few great mountains here in North America, in America, basically. Uh, I've I never been to uh, other area than Seattle area, but we have Mount uh, Baker, I will recommend to uh, start with Baker with the glaciated and you get uh, all the experience that rope, uh, cramp on ice axe, all those stuff. But uh, training, uh, before you do that, training, a little bit of training uh, will definitely make your, make their day, uh, their life easier. If, uh, so definitely do a lot of hiking, uh, you know, once a week, uh, four or five hours have with a you know, you start with a little uh, weight and then increase the weight up to 20 to 30 pounds. That's the what you need to carry when you start climbing here. Uh, there's no Sherpa to carry for you. So, <laughs> <laughs> so you need to carry everything uh, yourself. So just get trained. Uh, keep those in mind. You know, if you carry heavy things to your first training, then you get uh, you you're going to be miserable and you don't like it. So, like I say, carry like 15 pounds, 10 to 15 pounds, and increase up to 30 to 35 pounds, and get into the nature, walk up and down hill. That will definitely helps. And uh, there are a lot of uh, guiding companies here. 
Uh, they can teach you basic technique or if you want, before you, if you want to do your own climbing and there are also uh, some, many companies do a basic mountaineering training, which is one day uh, course. I also uh, does those. Uh, so those one day courses, just how to use crampon, or how to self-arrest, how to use rope, uh, how to manage rope and stuff like that. So, uh, and then after that, if you feel comfortable and those people can go out and do your own climb. Yeah, good advice. Well, so if uh, if people want to learn more about you or follow you on social media, um, I know you're on Facebook, um, you have a website. Is there anywhere else? Where where would people find out uh, about you yeah, and follow uh, you? Follow what you're up uh, to? They can follow me on Facebook, Instagram, uh, and then uh, website, congregexperience.com uh, 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 is our website. And uh, yeah, those are the two. And I'm also, in, I believe, in uh, linked, LinkedIn as well. LinkedIn. Okay. Is there uh, anything else you want to share with us before we uh, wrap things up today? It's, it's, it's certainly been a pleasure to have you here. Thank you. I know you just got back from vacation with your family and you have a pretty busy schedule, so it's very kind of you to be here. Yeah, not much. Uh, thank you for giving me, uh, interviewing me and giving me this opportunity. And uh, yeah, that's all. And good luck to you too. Uh, okay. And again, thank you. Great. Thank you. So uh, for those of you listening, thank you so much. Uh, make sure that if you're not already doing so, that you join our Facebook group. That's a great place where you can connect with people. You can get updates on uh, news in the climbing community. That's kind of a new thing that we've added. Um, we try and push out some daily news. Um, we also are sharing some training videos that are training and educational videos that are available on our website. That's exclusive content. You can't really find that on uh, our Facebook group or on Instagram. We're also on Reddit. That's new for us. Uh, we are on LinkedIn. You mentioned LinkedIn. Um, that's also a place where we are now pushing some news updates as well. So uh, thank you again, everyone, for being here. And we will see you at the top.